I'll be another face just to say welcome to you this morning. Really, um, it's an honor to be here. Uh, it's an honor to have you here for whatever reason uh, that you find yourself here this morning. Uh, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of John. Uh, it's going to be, if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles that uh, Rachel mentioned a moment ago, uh, page 906 is where you will find uh, today's text. And this morning we have, uh, crazy enough, reached the end of the series that we've been in throughout this fall called Rehearsing the Gospel. Uh, my hope is that it's been a helpful uh, series to you. Uh, from where I sit, it's an incredibly important series because it really has given us an opportunity to step back and try to really uh, dig deeper and beneath the surface of what we do every week when we gather together to worship. It's, an, it's given us an opportunity to consider why we worship the way that we do and what we're trying to do. Uh, one of the things that you've heard me or maybe others say throughout this series, maybe you've heard it more than you've cared to hear it, is that not only are we all worshipers, um, not only are we always worshiping, but because we are, we're always being formed into the image of whatever it is that we're worshiping. We're always being formed into the image of whatever it is that we devote ourselves to. So liturgy in a worship service, these different elements of the things we do when we gather together, together that's never meant to just be about the 90 minutes or so that we are in this room. Uh, it's meant to form us throughout every moment of our lives into a worshiping community of mercy. And so as you've heard throughout this series, uh, a call to worship is not just a responsive reading. It's as one pastor and author puts it, a splash of cold water that wakes us up from our world-induced trance. And singing isn't just a concert. Uh, it isn't a passive form of listening to something or a musical Sunday school. It's actually joining in the very song of God's redemption. God sings his salvation over his people, and we join into that when we sing. And confession isn't just a religious rite. That's meant to form in us a whole lifestyle of repentance as God exposes over and over again and in new ways and then rips out that sin that remains in us. And on and on we go. The words of encouragement, the preaching of God's word, the Lord's table, the prayers of the people, the offering, all of these things are meant to root us and form us in the finished work of Jesus so that there is really no moment at all, no aspect of our lives that goes untouched or untransformed by the power of God. Today, as we've reached the end of the series, we're going to talk about the thing that we do last uh, in our worship service every week. That's the benediction. And a benediction, quite literally, is a, a good word or a word of blessing. As we'll see in today's text, that blessing is both for you and it's meant to work through you in the lives of others, in the life of the world. Uh, it's for you, so, so you are not some kind of cog in a cosmic machine, but at the very same time, it's a blessing that is never meant to terminate on you, but rather to be stewarded as we like to say here at Liberty Church, as we live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus, as we really are the very embodiment of God's blessing in our neighborhoods, uh, in our workplaces, in our schools, in all these other venues in the public square. So when we started this series in early September, um, I began with a question that was posed by an author named Robert Weber. And that is, Robert Weber saying, in the midst of all of the competing ideas uh, all the competing agendas, all the competing storylines that exist in the world around us. Who gets to narrate the world? Who gets to narrate the world? Our answer as Christians is that God gets to narrate the world, that it's his world. And so I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but when we start our worship services with a call to worship, 
And then when we end our worship services with a benediction, what we are declaring and what we are being formed in is that it is God who gets the first word and God who gets the last word. And what we'll see today is that the last word of God, he gets the last word, and that last word is a word of blessing. And we're sent out into the world again and again with the blessing of the very God of heaven and earth upon us. So a text in the Gospel of John that really helps us see these things and understand these things is John chapter 20, uh, starting in verses 19 through 23. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is God's word. Pray with me. Blessed are you, God of all creation. You spoke in the beginning, and all things came to be. You spoke, and the word, Jesus Christ, came to live with us, full of grace and truth. We ask now that you would bless this place and time, that we would truly hear your voice. As we listen, may our ears be attuned to you. As the word is spoken, may you speak to us, and may all that we hear lead to you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. The events that are recorded here in John chapter 20, they unfold on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. So that morning, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, a third woman named Salome, they find the tomb empty. Jesus later appears to Mary Magdalene, and we're picking things up here later that same evening when Jesus appears to his disciples. Twice in this text, and hopefully you heard this when we read it just a moment ago, Jesus says, peace be with you. And he says that first in verse 19 as a statement of comfort and blessing for the disciples themselves. He's saying, I'm alive, I'm not dead anymore, and here I am. The peace of God be with you. The second time he says it there in verse 21, it's to prepare them for what they're about to do and what they're about to become in the world. Peace be with you because I am sending you out into the world. So we're going to spend our time this morning really considering these two things. God's blessing upon you and God's blessing through you. So first, let's talk about God's blessing upon you. And you'll notice here, Jesus doesn't use the word blessing anywhere in this text. So it's important to me, for integrity's sake, to show you why I'm using that word. Uh, Jesus says, peace be with you. And for us, with our Western modern ears, it's really easy for us to miss this, but that's an incredibly significant and loaded phrase. Historically, biblically, peace is always the outgrowth of God's blessing. To be at peace, to have peace pronounced over you, is really to have the very name of God and the favor of God upon you. So if you were to flip over to the book of Numbers, it was actually our text for the words of encouragement this morning. Numbers chapter 6, this is what's known as the priestly or the Aaronic blessing. Not the ironic blessing, the Aaronic blessing, as in Aaron, uh, the brother of Moses. When God established a priesthood, uh, those who connected God to the people and the people to God, 
he instructed the priests to bless the people in his name, in the name of Yahweh. So Numbers chapter 6 is really the original and the quintessential benediction. It's a benediction that's often used in the church today, and this is why. It has roots all the way back to the beginning of a priesthood. So Numbers chapter 6, I'll read it again, starting in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So did you catch that? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. Peace. The Hebrew word there is shalom, which means so much more than the absence of conflict. Shalom means that the very name of God is upon you, that the blessing and the favor, the very presence of God is upon you. And so for any Jewish person reading John's gospel, Jesus' double proclamation of peace would echo back to this priestly blessing, the Aaronic or priestly blessing. But it's so much more than an echo. It's actually the fulfillment and the substance of what was just once a shadow. And now through the work of Christ, peace or shalom is possible in a way that keeping the laws of Moses and being blessed by a human priesthood never could accomplish. Because now there is the risen Jesus, not just a priest, the priest. And he's here in the flesh proclaiming the shalom of God upon God's people. So Jesus shows up here. It's the day he's risen from the dead. He shows up. Sin and death cannot destroy him. God gets the final word over sin and death, and that word is a word of peace. So do you see what I mean when I say Jesus' words here are, are loaded words? And that's why each week after I or another elder in our church proclaims the benediction, we say, go in peace and serve the Lord. That's not just um, well wishes or comfort or a general sense of well-being. That actually means when that is said over you, to go with confidence that the name and the favor and the presence of God are upon you. There's some, and this changes for us week to week depending on where we are in life, there's some who in this room this morning really grasp that. And you're floored by the reality of it. You're floored by the reality that the God of heaven and earth puts his own name and his favor and his blessing on you. There are others in this room who carry around with them such a weight of shame, of insecurity, of unworthiness, that to even begin to consider that the favor of God might be upon you starts you down this road in your own heart and mind of pain, of doubt, disbelief, cynicism, whatever it might be, or trying to somehow make yourself worthy of being blessed by God because you just don't feel like that's even possible for you. And let me tell you something, if that's where you find yourself this morning. You're half right, but you're only half right. right? You, you aren't worthy of this. I'm not worthy of this. Nobody is worthy of this. Which is why the setting and the context of Jesus' words here in John chapter 20 are so important. Where are the disciples... When Jesus proclaims this blessing over them, what are they doing? Are they out defiantly taking on the Roman Empire? Are they standing before the, the Jewish council as they do later, saying, hey, I will never stop, come hell or high water, I will never stop proclaiming the good news of what I've seen and heard. Not even a little bit. Verse 19, they're behind locked doors, hiding for fear of the Jews. That's where they are. That's when Jesus comes and proclaims the blessing of God's peace. 
So you and I are never blessed because of our performance. We're blessed because of Jesus's performance. That he has accomplished our salvation by his life and his death and his resurrection. And the favor of God is not upon you because of your greatness. The favor of God is upon you because of God's greatness. That he defeated the power of sin and death so that he might come and proclaim his blessing of peace. And this is why you and I don't just get to enjoy this. We need the benediction proclaimed over us every single week. Because there will be times, yes, of course, that you sense the favor and blessing of God upon you, where it feels like God is smiling on you. But there will also be times, and probably more of these than the other, when you have no sense of that at all, when it feels like maybe God is scowling at you, or even worse, that he's not there. The benediction forms us in the reality that God's blessing and favor are not only upon us when it appears that way or when it feels like it. And let me just say, in light of that, a specific word about your posture when the benediction is proclaimed. It's not only appropriate, it's right and good to lift your head and to lift your eyes and to even hold out your hands with your palms facing upward. Why? Because this is the posture of someone who is needy and dependent and receiving. God's blessing is not earned, uh, it's not deserved, it's received. So even when you don't feel worthy of it, actually especially when you don't feel worthy of it, we lift our heads and we lift our eyes and we're formed in the truth that our lives do not hinge on my own ability to keep it together, but the reality that the name and the favor and the blessing of God are upon you because of God's greatness and not your own. You are not, praise God for this, the lifter of your own head. God is the lifter of your head. And David writes that in Psalm 3, not during one of the triumphant moments of his life. He's not when he kills Goliath or his anointed king or is like bringing the ark into Jerusalem. He writes that when he's fleeing from his son Absalom who has taken over the kingdom from him. God is the lifter of your head. The blessing of God is upon you when you are at your weakest, most desperate, most disgusted with yourself and your failures, when you sin, when you're cowering and fear like the disciples are here when you feel like you're at your absolute worst and farthest from God, if your hope is in Christ, the blessing of God is upon you. And if it's been weeks, uh, if it's been months, if it's been maybe decades since you've had any feeling sense of that, then may you today feel God's face shining upon you that because Jesus is the one who gets the final word over sin and death and because that final word is peace, you truly are blessed with the favor of God upon you. Second, let's talk about God's blessing through you, through you. The second time that Jesus offers this blessing of God's peace in verse 21, it immediately precedes him saying, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. So God's blessing is for you. It is for you. You're not just a a, a cog in this cosmic machine, but it's never meant to terminate on you. It's what an Old Testament scholar and really a a brilliant author named Christopher Wright calls transitive. It's the word he uses for it. It's a transitive blessing. And he goes on to explain, if God blesses you, it's so that you can bless others. If God redeems you, it's so that you can demonstrate redemptive grace to others. If God loves you, feeds you, and clothes you, then you should go and do likewise for others. If God brings you into the light of salvation, it is so you can shine with a light that attracts others to the same place. 
And if you enjoy God's forgiveness, then make sure you forgive others and so on. So notice something really important here in in Jesus' words and just in the way that God works in the world. God doesn't directly bless the world. In fact, a couple chapters earlier, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus explicitly says he is not praying for the world. He's praying for his disciples, for those people that God has given him out of the world. And that sounds a little bit weird to us. It's not that God doesn't love the world. He loves the world deeply. But rather than directly bless the world, what he does is bless his people that they might be then the display and the conduit of that blessing to the rest of the world around them. This is the way that God has worked throughout the history of his redemption. When God called Abraham, before he was even Abraham, he established a people for himself and he blessed that people so that through them, that's what it says explicitly in Genesis 12, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth might be blessed. Fast forward thousands of years, this is exactly why Jesus enters into the world. It's because God loves the world. He so loves the world, as the famous passage in John 3.16 puts it, that he sent his son into the world. And not only did God send Jesus into the world, he blessed Jesus as he sent him into the world. Jesus comes up out of the water after his baptism and the heavens open and God proclaims over him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The favor and the blessing of God is on Jesus. What Jesus says here then in John chapter 20 is that just as he was blessed by God and sent into the world, he is sending his followers, his church, as the blessed people of God through whom God is going to continue this redemptive mission, this great work of blessing people for the life and the peace of the world. Now, could God do this a different way? Of course he could do this a different way. He's God. But as we've been reminded in this series over and over again, this world is God's world to narrate. And this is the way that he's chosen to narrate it. And what that means for you and me is that we have both an obligation and an opportunity to be the conduits of God's blessing in the world. A friend of mine, uh, I heard I think he coined this phrase. Maybe he took, took this from somebody else. And it was in reference to something totally different. But he referred to something as an oblatunity. An oblatunity. It's not quite an obligation, but it's not quite an opportunity either. It's an oblatunity. For Christians, being a conduit of God's blessing in the world, that's our oblatunity. So it's an obligation. It is that. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says he is under obligation. Literally, he is a debtor. But it's not that he's attempting or that we are attempting to repay a debt to God. The point of God's grace and mercy is that it's impossible for us to repay. That it was infinitely costly to Jesus, but that it is free to those of us who believe. So when we say or sing things like, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, when we, when we talk about owing something to Jesus, what we're talking about there is that we owe him all of our allegiance and our devotion in response to what he's done. We're not owing him in a way that we're attempting to earn back or pay back. The debt that remains, the debt that Paul is talking about in Romans 1, is the obligation to pass along what we have freely received from the hand of God. Paul says in Romans 1, he's a debtor not to God, but to the Gentiles, to those who don't yet know Christ. And this picture is that God has given Paul this great treasure, and the treasure is for him, but it's not only for him, it's meant to be passed along and shared with those who don't yet know. So he's indebted not to repay something to God, but to pass it along to those who have not heard. As God's people, we have an obligation not to allow the blessing of God to terminate on us. 
but to become part of the means through which God continues to bless the world. And Christians in the theological tribe of which I'm a part, which many of us feel at home in, we emphasize the, the complete sovereignty of God, which is good and right. Biblically, we see in Scripture, God is completely in control over everything. And the only reason that people come to know and trust in Jesus is when God gives them eyes to see their need for that, gives them a heart that is soft to believe and to receive in that work, that work of Christ. But that can quickly and often does, tragically, become an excuse to downplay our obligation, our debt to those who don't yet know. And so what Jesus says here at the end of this text in John 20 is weighty. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does that mean? Because that sounds pretty intense. What does that mean? Well, it's not that I as an individual or, or the church in and of itself has the ability to like kind of play duck, duck, goose with people that are forgiven or unforgiven. It's, the, it's that as those who carry the blessing of God, those who carry the name of the one true God upon us, the gospel that we proclaim is the means by which people either believe and receive God's forgiveness or reject God and remain in their guilt and condemnation of sin. So that's real responsibility. That's a real obligation. And so it's always a crazy distortion to give yourself a pass from this in the name of the sovereignty of God. There is no pass for this in the name of the sovereignty of God. It's a real debt and a real obligation that we're meant to use our lives for. Moreover, Jesus' words here highlight there's a specific content. There's a specific way in which we are obligated to be a blessing in the world. If, if when you hear uh, a sermon like this, because this word's gotten so watered down over the years, you hear the word bless, and all that means to you is uh, random acts of kindness, serving others. The biblical definition of blessing is a lot more specific than that. It, of course, includes those things. But we're not just talking about people being cared for and comforted in the name of Jesus. We're talking about the forgiveness or the unforgiveness of sins. And so when the stakes are as high as Jesus says they are here, it means that the content of our blessing has to be imploring other people to put their faith, their trust in Jesus. We are under obligation to pass along what we've freely received from the hand of God. And from the hand of God, we have not just received comfort and care, we've received salvation itself through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Penn Jillette, some of you will recognize that name, he's a famous magician, uh, part of the duo Penn and Teller. Penn Jillette is an atheist. He's an atheist with a lot more consistency than a lot of Christians have when it comes to this topic. Listen to what he said about 10 years ago. I don't respect people that don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. <laughs> and, and this is more important than that. And this is more important than that. That's remarkable consistency from Penn Jillette. We can learn a lot from him and his words in that. We need to feel the weight of the obligation and responsibility it is to be the conduits of God's blessing in the world but also perceive the real opportunity, the real privilege that it is 
that you and I get to use our lives for something so significant. Because that also is really evident in what Jesus says in this text. For one, you get to be the tangible witness of Jesus Christ in the world. So the disciples here in this passage, they touch the wounds of the literal, physical body of Christ. And those wounds are the tangible witness that Jesus has accomplished salvation, that he has secured the blessing of God's peace. The disciples themselves are then sent out as the figurative body of Christ. One of the metaphors that shows up all throughout the New Testament is that the church is the body of Christ. In a similar way, the church becomes the tangible witness of Jesus to the world. So though the world can't see Jesus and touch his wounds like these disciples did, the world can see and does see the church. And we are those, as the church, who have seen and experienced the life of Christ. We are those who trace our heritage back to these original disciples who put their fingers in the wounds of our risen Savior. So the church is, in this day, the tangible witness so that those who cannot see Jesus might still believe. What's more, our opportunity, our privilege, is that we become stewards of the presence of God. Stewards of the presence of God. This seemingly odd moment where Jesus breathes on his disciples. He breathes on them. And he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a foretaste of what would happen just a few short weeks after this at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit descends, empowers the disciples. 3,000 people are added to their number that day. When Christians, and I'm guilty of this myself, when we hear the word stewardship, our mind automatically goes to money financial stewardship, how we're going to use our money. If that's all we think of when we think about stewardship, we will miss the forest for the trees. Because people of God, more than anything else, you are stewards of the very presence of God. That is what you are a steward of, the presence of God. God's own spirit dwells in you. That the blessing of God might not only stop and terminate upon you, but might pass through you who bear his very name and very spirit in the world. Once God dwelt with his people in a building, the temple. Then, as we'll celebrate in a couple weeks during the season of Advent, God the Son made his dwelling among us. Now, just as the Father sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus sends his followers into the world, empowered, compelled by that same Spirit of God. And so the significance of our money pales in comparison to this. Our money, our possessions, our homes, our time, our effort, all of those things only find their meaning and purpose in light of the fact that we are stewards of the very presence of God. I'll close with this. I don't know what your experience is with being blessed or benedictions or liturgy or things like that. What I would say to you this morning, if this is brand new to you, is I would call you to be humbled, to be astonished, to be assured that God gets the final word, and that that final word is a word of blessing. That's the story of the world, that God has blessed his people and sent them out to continue that work of blessing. And so however dark this world appears, never forget that it is still God's world, that it is still his to narrate. And because he has the final word, there is not a moment in your life where hope and joy are not only appropriate, but that they're real and they can be sincere. And when we end today's service, when we end every worship service that we have here at our church with a benediction, may that form you in the reality that God's blessing really is upon you. May you believe that. May you receive God's blessing of peace and believe that it really is for you. 
And may you see both the obligation and the opportunity it is to be those through whom God is continuing his great work of blessing the world. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, that you would bless us defies our comprehension. That your very name is upon us, proclaimed over us. Your favor is upon us. Your face is shining upon us. Help us to see and sense that. We, we believe it to be true. Help us to have a feeling sense of what we know to be true. I pray that this morning for my friends here, those who it might be easy to see the favor of God upon them where they're at this week or this morning. I also pray that especially for those who are not, that they would be those who see you as the lifter of their heads, the lifter of their eyes, that they would receive the words of your blessing upon them this morning, that it would encourage them, that you love them and are with them and are for them. I pray, God, you would see the opportunity it is, the obligation it is to pass that blessing along. Open our eyes to specific ways we can do that, even this week, even as we're sent from here to to celebrate and have gratitude for the things you've given us and provided for us with Thanksgiving this week. Open our eyes to opportunities to continue that great work of your blessing upon us. And as we come to this table now, we remember that that blessing has been made possible, that the shalom and peace of God is possible because of your finished work, Jesus. So we look upon you this morning as we look upon you always. Strengthen us in that. We pray this in your name. Amen.